apple of our hearts will be always acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, I must say I'm, I'm proud of all of you for getting out of bed on a rainy Sunday morning. I think you all deserve a round of applause. Give yourself a round of applause. Um, that is, that's, that's very d- tough to do, as I found out this morning. Um, I want you this morning to just take a step backwards with me. We're going to step back. We're going to leave Somerville. We're going to head back into um, Palestine, into Israel around, I don't know, 33 A.D. And consider what Jesus was coming into on that very first Palm Sunday. Consider what He was riding into. We're going to think about that and think about... um, what that looks like even today, because, because in many ways not much has changed. But, but we're, we're going to look at this, and in Jesus' day there were two uh, opposing worldviews, if you will. There was, on one hand, the Roman Empire. This empire was huge. I don't know if any of you remember um, to, the, to the maps that, that we had in, in our history class, and you could flip up and it would go through the ages. And, and whenever it got to the, the Roman Empire map, I was simply stunned. It was almost always pink, and it went around the whole Mediterranean Sea. The whole area was one country, and it, it blew my mind to think about that, to think about this Roman Empire. And so here they are, and obviously part of their empire was uh, Jerusalem. It was Israel, Palestine, and, um, and Rome represented power. It represented military might. It represented, um, for, for the Jewish people, it represented ungodliness. It represented um, oppression. But here was Rome in Jerusalem and, and everything it represents right there. And, and Jesus is writing into this. And Rome was mostly concerned with keeping the peace. Really, that's what they wanted to do. They just didn't want a bunch of insurrection. They didn't want a bunch of war because because essentially the um, Holy Land was very strategic. Just as it is today, it's a very strategic strip of land. It's where um, where trade roads cross coming up from Africa, coming down um, from Europe and Asia and coming coming from the west, I mean the east. And they, they were all converging on this spot. And then on top of that, it was a very fertile area. Um, that's a big, hungry Roman Empire. They need food, and a lot of it came... Um, from Egypt and from Palestine in those areas. And so very strategic, very important. And the bottom line was they just didn't want a bunch of unrest. They wanted to keep the peace. And the way they did this was to let you do your thing. They didn't coerce you. They didn't force you, at least not at this time, not yet. They said, you know what? Um, Israel, if you want to worship God, go for it. You can have your temple. That's all very nice and, and cute. Um, you can have those things. Just don't break the peace. That was their main concern. Don't break the peace. Um, so that's Rome. Now, the, the competing worldview then is that of Israel because that was not acceptable. It wasn't okay for them to just not keep the peace, not break the peace. They, they, um, <coughs> they, they, they had an ownership in this land. Okay, you've got to understand this. This is so important um, 
to understanding Palm Sunday, to understanding Scripture, to realize the importance of that land. It was a gift to them from God Himself. A gift to them from God Himself. Remember Abraham, the very um, first Israelite. And God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you this land, the promised land of Canaan. That is a big deal. And so to have foreign rulers in their land was not okay with Israel. It was not okay, especially when there were unholy foreign rulers like the Romans. This was not acceptable. And so to keep the peace meant to give in a little bit, to give in to their religion. And so these, um, these things are, are going on. Israel has not ruled the land themselves probably for about 500 years at this point, if not a little bit more. 500 years they've been waiting. 500 years they've been putting up with foreign rulers. 500 years they've been expecting for God to do something. And they're getting impatient. And so all this is sort of, sort of bubbling around um, when, when Jesus comes in. But there's a, a, a third component. So you've got Rome, okay, and their power, might, unholiness. You've got Israel. They have the promise of the land. They want to rule it themselves. They're, there's no way they're just going to sit there and let, um, let the Romans um, push them around. They're just waiting. They're just waiting for God to come back. And then we have Passover week. Passover week. Jesus is coming in on Palm Sunday. Um, just like today is the very beginning of, of the Passover week for the Jews. This was the very beginning of the Passover week. Now, what were they celebrating at Passover? What were they celebrating? They were celebrating the exodus from Egypt. This was the defining moment in their history, the exodus from Egypt. If you'll remember, before they were given the promised land, um, they, were, they were sent into Egypt to escape a, a famine. Um, but while they were there, the Egyptians put them in slavery um, and would not let them go. And so Ma, God raised up Moses to be a leader for his people. And Moses went to Pharaoh and, and said, said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And Moses said it again. Pharaoh said, no. And, and this went on through, through the, the, the ten plagues. And, and the final plague, do you remember that one? It was the, the angel of death. And the angel of death came in and um, passed over the land and killed the firstborn of everyone in the land except the Hebrews. They were passed over. They were passed over. And that was the trigger. That was the moment where Pharaoh said, leave. You can leave. Just get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. The moment of their exodus. And so here we have Israel. They have a pattern of being saved from foreign rulers by God so that they could be given the promised land. And they're here, and they're waiting, and they're celebrating what has happened in the past, and they were looking ahead for their Messiah. They were waiting for this one, this chosen one of God, to come in and set them free. And into that pressure cooker comes Jesus. Into that pressure cooker comes Jesus. So, Jesus knows what he's getting into. He's a smart man. And he instructs his disciples to procure a donkey. Now, let's be real. 
He's been walking around for three years. He didn't suddenly become tired and need to ride on a donkey. And so he gets his disciples. He sends them and says, go get me a donkey. Bring it to me. They brought him the donkey. They laid their cloaks over it. And Jesus rode over the Mount of Olives and into Jerusalem where he was welcomed and greeted. The crowds came out of Jerusalem. His disciples surrounded him and, 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 and threw palms at his feet and, and said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He could not say it any louder than acting it out. He could say, hey, I'm the Messiah. Or he could get on the back of a donkey and ride in and reenact God coming to save his people. He's acting it out. He's, I am God. I am coming to save my people. And they are beside themselves. 500 years of waiting. 500 years of expectation. 500 years waiting for the Messiah to deliver them. And here he is. There's two things that I want you to notice about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And the first one um, is this. This wasn't some uh, crowd who was momentarily excited about some new teacher coming to town. They literally thought he was the Messiah. And you see that in what they're shouting. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where does that come from? It comes from Psalm 118. They are singing and praising Scripture at Jesus' feet. Psalm 118 is um, a messianic prayer, a prayer of redemption, of rejoicing and expectation. It's the prayer they sing when they're thinking about the Messiah to come. And so now they see Jesus, and they say that prayer, and they're saying, you are the Messiah. And Jesus does not deny it, does he? He doesn't deny it. If somebody said, you were the Messiah, you might say, no, no, not really, um, but not Jesus. He rides on in. Second thing to notice about this, then, is that Jesus is riding on a donkey. Um, some translations say colt, a donkey or a colt, but this is a, a little animal, Okay. Now, if you're expecting a military Messiah, you're probably expecting some giant horse with some great military leader on top of it with legions of armies coming in behind him. But instead, we have Jesus riding on a donkey, a donkey without a saddle, mind you. Instead of soldiers behind him, there's 12 bedraggled Galilean fishermen. But the crowds don't notice this. They don't think about it. It's not computing. And so Jesus is riding in um, to a welcome. They're welcoming the Messiah. And they're right. They're right. Now hang on to that. So we have this picture, which I think is amazing, of Jesus coming in. All of this sort of political stuff simmering up. Um, But on Palm Sunday, the Romans are probably looking at Jesus, riding on a donkey with these um, people following him. And they're probably thinking, well, that is really quite strange. Why are they cheering for this guy? Why are they bringing out the palm branches? What's that all about? Well, this is a very strange land. These are strange people. We'll let them do it as long as it's peaceful. I'm okay with that. That's the Romans. The, um, Israel's looking at this and saying, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one of God. 
He's come to overthrow those evil Romans once and for all. Praise God. And he's doing it in Passover, no less. What an amazing day. That's what they're thinking, what they're saying on Sunday. But, oh my, oh my, how do things change in a week? Five Five days later, the Romans look at this rabbi, and he has suddenly become a threat to the peace of Israel. And so we have Pontius Pilate washing his hands. This man's blood is not on mine, but if it'll keep you peaceful, you can have him crucified all day long. And we have Israel looking at Jesus and expecting words of judgment, expecting governments to be overthrown, and and they get a word of judgment, but not on Rome, on themselves, on their leaders. They get some overthrowing, but not of the Roman government, but of the, temp- of the tables in the temple. And all of a sudden, their Messiah is a nuisance. And so the same people, the same people who on Palm Sunday are standing and praising Jesus and saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These very same people, five days later, on Good Friday, are saying, Crucify! Crucify him! My, how things change in a week. Isn't that the irony of Palm Sunday? Because Jesus is riding in on this this donkey, and he's looking at these people, and they're cheering him, and they're praising him, and he knows what they're going to do to him. He says, You are so right. I am your Messiah. But you don't get it. You don't understand. You don't understand what I've come to do for you. And there we have the irony of Palm Sunday that Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the universe, has come not on a horse but on a donkey. He's come not in power but humility. He's come not for vengeance but for forgiveness. He's come not to be enthroned in a palace, but to be enthroned on a cross. And so we sing, um, we're going to sing this after um, communion. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Ever thorns composed so rich a crown. The irony of the cross. The irony of Palm Sunday. And when we just pause on that for a little bit and consider it, as we head into Holy Week, consider the irony of this king riding in on a donkey. Um, It opens up our eyes. It opens up our eyes to how this humble rabbi could be the king of the universe. To how this man dying on a cross would three days later be raised from the dead and 40 days, 50 days after that be ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of God the Father. When we see the irony of Palm Sunday, we can see the irony of the Holy Week and then we can look at our lives and see the irony of what it means to follow Jesus. If any man would save his life, he must lose it. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. 
And so as we approach Holy Week, we've got these sort of um, competing things just, just coming at us, and they're, they're always coming at us. And we've got the world, we've got the world that says you need power and you need success and you need money to be happy and you need to go after these things at all costs. And, and that thing's over here, and we have this other sort of pressure on us, and it's the pressure of our own hopes and our own dreams and our own expectations. And we've got these things coming at us, and we come into Holy Week, and, and here's our tendency. Here's what we love, love to do. We like to be really pious, don't we? We say, it's Holy Week. I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to focus on the cross. I'm going to leave these other things aside. I'm going to put aside my concerns over here, put aside my ambitions over here. I'm just going to focus on Jesus. And, and that's, that's a worthy ambition, but you can't do it. You can't come to Jesus without bringing that stuff with you. And so this, this pressure cooker of a world we live in is, is bearing down on us, and we come to Holy Week, and we're bringing that stuff with us, and we've got to ask this question. When I meet Jesus, when I meet him outside of Jerusalem, when I meet him riding his donkey, can I journey with him to the cross? Can I go all the way? The Romans couldn't go all the way. They couldn't, they couldn't see how a man could be king and yet still be crucified. The Jews couldn't go all the way. They couldn't let go of their own desires and ambitions of a military ruler to overthrow the foreign governments. Can you let go of these outside pressures of the world and your own ambitions and follow Jesus? Can you bring with you your broken marriages? Can you bring with you your broken relationships, your relationships with your children? Can you bring with you your unmet hopes and dreams and desires? Can you bring those with you to meet Jesus at the cross? And can you lay them down? Maybe it's in your marriage. Can you lay down the need for to get even or for justice or the need for, for the other person to make it right? Maybe it's your job. Can you lay down the ambition that's tearing your family apart? Can you lay down the need for this sort of picture-perfect family that you can't quite have? Can you lay that down? Again, we'll sing after communion, all the things that charm me most, I sacrifice to His precious blood. Can you sacrifice those things that charm you the most to the precious blood of Jesus Christ? Because when you do that, when you journey with him this holy week, you will die. You will die. It's a very hard death. The death to the self is probably the hardest one. But three days later, you'll be raised to new life in Jesus Christ, new hopes, new ambitions, relationships made new. And you'll have a life that the, this world cannot touch, that your own sinful desires and, and, and dreams cannot touch. You'll have a life of Jesus Christ. Can you journey with him this Holy Week? Can you journey with him all the way to the cross? And can you be raised with him on that third day? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to journey with you. Give us the grace to follow you.
to follow you to the cross, to follow you up onto the cross. Give us the grace, Lord, to die to ourselves that we may be resurrected into new life in you. May we know that reality this Holy Week. We ask this in your name. Amen.